Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. So here we have it folks, the second part of the Bodhi interview. As always, this episode was brought to us by Organic Gardening Solutions, 420 Australia, and all things Bodhi. I hope you're ready to jump back into it. Here we go. So this next one's a little bit of a two-parter. How do you feel about the idea of certain gear or cuts, so to speak, um, having kind of bad vibes associated with them? This is an idea I've heard a few times. I guess the most notable example would be, um, you know, and I could be wrong here, but I, I think I'm pretty correct. I'm fairly confident that Indian guys' specific instructions were that he didn't want anyone to, like, kind of F2 the G13 hash plant. But that seems Correct. to have kind of happened, you know, and I know that you break with it, but you didn't have to it. So that's, we're not talking about you, obviously. Um, do you feel that like in that such situation where someone has made it fairly clear their intentions and then some other party has kind of done the opposite of that, do you feel there is such a thing as kind of bad vibes associated with that gear or not necessarily? It's just a shame that that person's intentions weren't respected. I think it's kind of a shame. I mean, I think it, it applies in different ways, like, I think for NDN, it's a special kind of thing because he's he's kind of like a deep grandfather of a lot of people. Like he's an all timer and he was a big seed collector and he has a lot of amazing stuff. And he's very altruistic and he's in giving and he gives he'll give, you know, the most rare seeds ever to like some new guy that, you know, maybe that just started like he he's he's kind of like this unique Santa Claus. And I think for someone that does that, I, I mean, I've heard him get in trouble, too, of giving out stuff that he's not supposed to. But he, for him, I think, you know, with elders, especially, I think we should kind of respect that. And his whole thing was he wanted that strain to be kind of like, he wanted to be free. He wanted people to enjoy it and he wanted to do it. And his big thing was, yeah, you can make hybrids, but you can't, you can't F to it for money. So I'm pretty sure you can give it away. Uh, but, you know, I've talked to him for a while, but there does seem to be a lot of those kind of strange cuts and it's mostly people just kind of i understand if they're really rare and if people spend a tremendous amount of time or it's enough or it's it's a family strain that goes back generations um but i think that's where communication comes in if you know if people are open and they communicate about what they want to do and what things are there doesn't need to be bad blood or things and and it's sad when a strain gets that kind of energetic kind of uh, gunk on it because it holds that you know just like every seed is kind of a prayer that's just waiting to be popped open and through epigenetics it holds not only its history going back through time but all the cultures that utilized it like a seed is this i mean people don't really realize how amazing it is it's this kind of dusky jewel that 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 transforms time into you know into a tangible way to interact with it's all yeah it's, it's basically like a bejeweled time machine that holds everything so i think you know these seeds and clones and everything are very sacred and very special and they don't need to have this thing around and i you know there are instances where like i said with families that hold that but i don't know it's tricky i think it comes down to really to communication and if people have something that you want them that you want to keep to yourself you probably shouldn't give it out because things get out you know people are human and it's like if you give it out it's probably going to get out and it's, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I understand it from all different thing, all different viewpoints, but really it's, it comes down to communication, I think, and that's where it's going to happen, in, you know. Yeah, for sure. 
So, are there any cuts which you don't like to work with from maybe, say, the kind of the more modern elite clones? Maybe not necessarily due to what we were just talking about, but maybe just in general, you don't particularly like working with them. Are there any, you know, kind of popular modern elite clones that fall into that category for you? Um, You know, I I veer away from work of certain breeders that I don't jive with. I respect back to everybody, but sometimes I won't usually breed with clones from someone that I don't, our lines are jive with so much and for clones you know and i don't know if there's a if it's a really like if it has a lot of drama around it i kind of stay away with it from it unless unless i know who it came from and i can kind of communicate with them like gg4 like you know i know that i can communicate and i could offer up what i what i want to do and they could respect that and i could respect them and that could happen um, like, you know, with Josie and people that have special things, like if there's a communication there, I think it's okay. And, but there are a lot of clones that just get out into the wild and people go with it and then people get uptight and I don't know, it's, it's none of those kind of communication things. It's such a strange thing. I, I wish people would kind of stop chasing these clones and really just start popping their seat collections, you know? And I also, you know, I see kind of like a new interesting trend. It's like before it would just be these amazing clones that people would have that pop up like the Kims and the OGs. And now, but now you're seeing people that have, that have kind of like a good vibe and a good internet presence, like capitulator or, um, stunk master flex who have like the GMO cookies and caps got the Mac and just from their good vibes and them hyping it on their, up their strain that they really like that they've created they've kind of created their own elites and i think so not we're not just finding them anymore we're kind of creating them and i think that is going to show people that anyone can find these special elites and then hey if people have a problem it's like then you have a your own special elite you guys can trade it's like i think it, people should stop chasing and start creating you know i think people we have so much to, to uncover that it's kind of we don't want to just be chasing our tails anymore, even though it's fun and the strains are pretty cool these days, but I think there's a lot more to, to really explore. So with that in mind, how important do you feel it is that new seeds are constantly being popped? Because for example, in Australia, um, I find people aren't, don't really pop that many seeds, so to speak, at least on average. And I try to tell them, in my opinion at least, it seems like that's what drives the progression of the scene in a way, you know, like the new things coming out that people can enjoy, you know. How do you feel about that? And does that play into your philosophy of making F1s because it's almost a way of facilitating that? Yeah, in a way, I mean, in California, it's kind of different. It's, it, is a, it is a clone culture and it's kind of changing now, especially with outdoor and people realizing that seeds are just so much more vibrant and the root system is so much more amazing and they don't have all the stds that all the clones do um but you know california is a is a clone culture and it's a hype culture it's driven by music it's driven by coolness it's driven by you know thing you know even if a strain maybe isn't the ultimate strain if you get rappers smoking it and rapping about it you know cookie's a good example cookie's is an amazing strain it's really cool but there's a lot of drama around and there's a lot of people saying you know this and that and it makes cool hybrids it's neat but it's people are you know things are people just people latch onto something and just take it you know just hammer it to the ground and it's and it's like kind of sad for the strain itself it's like i would love to see people popping seeds and i think it's happening more and i think people are getting more into it um 
I just worry about the future and the way things are going. You know, maybe eventually as chicken is really cheaper and there's lots of brands and there's lots of people pumping it out that people won't really have the uh, impetus to pop seeds. Maybe people just do it ornamentally or just for craft. But I, I really think that, yeah, everything comes from a seed and it, all of our best stuff is always, that's just where it comes from. I mean, that's its origin. That's where you're going to find it. And that's where we should be looking. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if we kind of tap into the mindset of the people who are kind of promoting that clone community, at least subconsciously, a lot of what I hear from these types of folk is that, you know, the, the elite clones are just so far superior to, you know, most things you'd get out of seeds that it's almost not worth bothering with seeds. With that in mind, do you find there's a big variation between the elites? Like, do you find that there are some cuts that are definitely considered elite? You know, they're just phenomenal in every way. But then there are others which are maybe considered elite by the masses, but they just really kind of don't stand up compared to the other one, for example. Yeah, I think, too, there's also sometimes in the clone world, you get a lot of different clones. Like, I'm sure that, you know, there's at least two Blue Dream clones. There's a really good Blue Dream clone that I love. I think Blue Dream's awesome, but Blue Dream gets a lot of flack. And I think it's because people grow the really bland, quicker, more indica version of Blue Dream. And I don't know. I think there's clones that are elites because they have a history. They've performed for, you know, 10, 20 years. And they have a really special uniqueness to them. And they always kind of hit home just where you want them. And then there's a lot of the... The, especially in the new hyper terpy kind of, uh, I call it kind of a pop art breeding, kind of like a derivative breeding where it's um, people are real, everybody's kind of, everything's derivative of itself and people are smashing everything together. And it's kind of like the Andy Warhol style breeding where it's very neon, it's very flashy, it's bright, it's loud. You're really hitting all the boxes with flavor and smell. And it's more for the kind of like, recreational kind of dab culture that loves the more the they love the enjoyment of the flavors and the taste more than maybe so the effects or the the origins and so you know it's it's kind of comes down to it is like if an elite's been an elite for more than five years i think it you know like og no one's gonna dispute that that's not an awesome plant Kim, Kim, is no one's going to dispute that. But there's new stuff that comes online and people chase every day that, you know, and it's hard for me. I like to, I find it fascinating and I love to try all these new things and I try and keep abreast, you know, like all, all the new stuff, like the purple punches and the Sunday drivers and the orange trees and the lemons this and the, I, I love checking all those out and I love seeing that. But, you know, a lot of times those don't last more than a year or two, you know, and same with cookies. Cookies is a great plant it's it's held itself up and it, you know people love it and it, it's probably last the test of time but there's a lot of derivative kind of one-offs that pop in and up kind of like bubbles they pop up the surface people get really into it and when enough people try it they're kind of like hmm so i think it's more elites it's what what passes the test of time you know and so do you ever have any intentions of ever delving back into some of the really old school stock like, you know, SSSC, for example? Um, we've got the temple, you know, a good example of where you've done that. Would you ever be interested in doing it more? And if not, is that because, you know, the future excites you so much? 
Oh, no, I, I love vintage lines. And that's kind of my one of my things uh, for Supernatural Selections is like I really get to get deeper into those. And I actually have a lot of stuff going on right now that, I, you know, some of my old stuff of, you know, like Beatrice Choice and NL2 and, you know, like all these really unique old vintage ones. I have, a, uh, uh, you know, from older seed companies. I have a, I have a really nice friend who was instrumental in some of the early uh, – um, Neville work and Sensi work, he, and he sends me some really cool stuff, and I love getting stuff from him. And sometimes it's total junk, and it turns out funny, but I just love seeing it because it's like a snapshot to a snapshot to a bygone era. You know, it's like you really get to see, and it's neat to see what people remember and then what the really the reality is. You know, because um, you know over time people granulize their memories and they change. And but I, I love vintage stuff. It's one of my favorite things to pop. And whenever I can, I do, you know, and I have a quite a good collection of, of vintage seeds, but I can only do so much. And since I do kind of have to work on a couple different levels, I kind of have to partition myself. So I'd say like 50% goes to Bodhi seeds and then 10% goes to vintage and 10, 15% goes to Narika. And now I think maybe like 30% will go to supernatural selection so i just I, I have to find that kind of pie chart that makes everything move forward so i can pay the rent and also explore everything i can and also you know f- follow my own passion and also create things so people can follow their own passion but yeah i would love to see more vintage stuff come out and i i really get excited and i love all the stuff that mean gene pulls out of his hat all he has a lot of cool vintage stuff and yeah people are just popping out of the woodwork with all these unique lines i'm like whoa that still exists you know it's like wow someone has that it's i'm excited about vintage lines yeah i mean speaking on one specifically talk of kabul has always been one that's been quite interesting to me and i think that's probably because of the elusivity of it so to speak what was that strain like and do you have a plan to use it again or have you maybe lost it you know i I like Takakabul. I like all those rough old Afghanis. Uh, they're, they're a little, you know, it depends on what you're getting. They're a little bit bland. The Takakabul was unique in that, you know, it's from Mark's castle. Mark is like, he's an amazing old character guy. I think he kind of hyped it up a little bit because I don't, from what, I don't totally agree with what he said about it. Maybe I didn't grow it to its full potential or even outdoors. But to me, it's a really nice commercial Af, like modern Afghani, like it's kind of that bland but dark. It's got the raw power of Afghani. It's got good good strength, but as a breeding plant, it's kind of bland and kind of blah in a way. But for where it is, you know, I I'm not growing it in the arid high desert of Afghanistan, and I'm not really making. I'm sure making hash with it is phenomenal, and that's kind of what I used it in is in one of my deep line alchemy. Uh, uh, crosses, which is kind of focusing on the kind of like uh, traditional plants that were used for hash making and kind of hybridizing those with the G13 hash plant or other indicas. And it's it's a cool plant. It's also, he also had another one called Warlord that came from the same thing. And the whole deal with that was, I guess there was a, a what was it, like 2002 or 96, one of the, it was way back when somewhere that uh, special forces went in and raided a Warlord and, um, that was growing a lot of really amazing cannabis for hash. And it was the big talk in Kabul. Everybody loved that hash and the special forces went in and raided it. And someone grabbed the seeds and brought them back from that. So it was one of those cool, kind of like all those old, really cool Afghanis have that backstory, kind of like alien technology has its backstory. And, you know, everyone, I I like those old kind of things. And this actually, if we're talking about crazy old 
uh, Afghani style stuff, uh, Stray Fox got some seeds from, I think it was from his brother who served over in Iraq in Rania. And those seeds are amazing. Like it is like a dead ringer for like, if you could take pure Kush and cookies and put them together, like this spicy bready, like Persian bakery smell. And like, this really beautiful heady body. Like it, it, it reminds me kind of like that uh, Hollywood pure Kush, the one or the LA pure Kush, not the OG like one, but the more like feminine cushy kind of, um, baby power esque one. Like, um, there's the some LA amazing, Pure? yeah, kind of like the LA pure, but, uh, kind of more in the kind of the bubba realm, but with, but yeah, there's some of those old Afghanis are amazing. And that's kind of what I'm excited this year. I'm doing a lot of really old, weird Afghanis outside. I'm doing like my artifact one, which is kind of like the Afghani that everybody remembers, but no one's been able to procure like that super accurate, almost roadkill, like cabbagey, kind of like a deep chunky, but not as bland as deep chunk, kind of this really raw kind of like, I don't know. It smells like a prison basketball game or something. I don't know, but you know, I just like exploring all the, the weirdest things. But yeah, the Takakabal, cool line, cool breeder, but on its own, uh, I don't think it's that uh, the best. It's interesting because you just touched on probably about four or five questions, which we'll get to soon enough. Um, first question, though, I'm a huge Deep Chunk fan. I'm a huge Tom Hill fan. I, I love all of his work. Um, mm-hmm. You even mentioned about this at the Emerald Cup. I've never found a deep chunk which I was satisfied with the flavor I kind of like how you described the talk of Kabul it was always a bit lackluster in my opinion Did, have you found the same like I mean I've found good use for it as a breeding tool because you know there's still a lot of desirable characteristics around it but you know have you ever found a female where you were like damn you know this has got a good taste as well as all those other deep chunk traits you know a long time ago I found one deep chunk and I was like I call it like the sativa fino or something but which it's not of course it was just a little bit more stretchy and a little bit more flavorable and it was kind of a seemed like a throwback that's the only other one I mean other than that they all they're so inbred and they're so you know I mean that plant is like full on dinosaur Jurassic Park like it must have been inbred through some families in Afghanistan for hundreds of years like it is like basically it's also the ultimate like fun learning Afghani to breed with. It was my first Afghani that I really got into and kind of bred with. And even I did some of my early lines or deep chunk crosses. It turns everything into deep chunk, which is amazing, but you get to slight, you know what I mean? It just, it is like terminator of, of plants. And it has a really cool effect. Like I, my sister really loves deep chunk, like just makes her laugh and it makes her feel good. It has a really, it has that classic, just take you home, huggy kind of vibe. I mean, it doesn't always, behave indoors like you know all the tom stuff is more for outdoors anyways and that's where it was bred but deep chunk you know it's like if if we were teaching a course like it's the textbook afghani like you can't get any more like textbook afghani like like that's kind of like if you ever saw that picture of richard evan schultes and wherever he was in afghanistan he's standing by those really squat old plants i think it was in the 40s like it looks that it basically looks like deep chunk and i think deep chunk is is pretty cool even though i don't really enjoy breeding with it because it just turns everything into deep chunk i have uh, found that myself a lot i found one male where kind of isn't so dominant like it it turns everything phenotypically into deep chunk but i found this one male where a lot of the mothers kind of the high and the taste seems to shine through so i'm enjoying playing with that but like jesus that flavor has got some serious issues with it like (laughs) but um 
uh, on another little interesting side note, I found a female that had just this amazing high. I swear it must have had a really significant percentage CBD in it, but I called it the face melter because it was great. You know, it was like having um having like a warm water poured over your face. It was awesome. Like a massage. Yeah, I miss those. Like, yeah, like a body massage, bud. Yeah. So, I mean, just dipping back on a thing you mentioned a few questions ago, do you think there is you know a certain amount of romanticism around strains from years gone by i mean the typical ones being you know haze tie um roadkill skunk that's a great one you know i've never experienced the roadkill skunk myself so i'm still a bit on the fence especially because a lot of the people who i i really trust their opinions they speak so highly of it but i mean i hear stories about you know people will say like oh you know you'd smell it in a guy's pocket before he'd even walked in the house and it's like (laughs) is that really true like i've never had anything close to that happen to me with modern cannabis was it really that strong um you know i i think there was a lot of really special old strains back there and i think you know what they always say is like if you remember the 60s you weren't there kind of thing i think there's a lot of there's a lot of old stoners that have a lot of fond memories of their youth and they kind of believe in things, but there was some strains that really stood out. And especially I think a lot of the import from these point of origin places where they had all the terroir and they had the, had all that and they brought it through. I, those things would really, they would really ring some bells. And you know, the roadkill skunk thing, I mean, that's, that's something that I've been kind of playing with for years and I can't get it right. Like I've done so many different hybrids and so many outcrosses and I can get like, it get almost right, but then it'll, it won't cure out skunky or, you know, or it'll be too pissy or it won't be strong enough. Like, you know, it's there. And I I really think that with the roadkill skunk, yeah, I I think it was probably a really hideous old Afghani, one of those Afghanis that was bred forever to be super, super strong for their hash. And I think it really kicked people's ass, but you know, it also got people busted. And I also think, that that terpene, I think it must have some kind of mole- lower molecular weight or something because I think it vaporizes pretty quick because outside it'll smell for blocks. Like people, you know, of course people are going to get busted. Like you, you can't miss it. It's sm- the whole neighborhood smells like a dead skunk. But on the line for two weeks it'll smell like that. But week three, all of a sudden the terpenes vaporize or they something or it changes and it doesn't it doesn't hold. So. I don't know. I know, you know, people reminisce about that light green golf ball, super kill you a smell through your pocket. And those strains do exist, but I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping to have something close by the end of the summer, but you know, I'm not on a timeline. I don't really care. I'm just more of a fun thing, but it's, it's difficult, you know, but cannabis puts out every imaginable smell you can think of it. Somehow you can get it to create that from onions to passion flower, to like fruit loops it's there and you can bring it out and i think it's just a, i think really it's a combination of maybe some kind of colombian afghani or maybe even like a some kind of really oil canny like motor oil kind of afghani sativa mixed with a with a kind of some kind of grueling acrid low low i don't know I, it's it's there. I think people can find it. And I think people will. And I think people, whether they create it or someone digs it out of their trunk, I think it's still out there. I think it's just, it just was kind of selected against in, in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, mid-90s is when all the fruity stuff came in, all the bubble gums and blueberries and all that funny, gross stuff. It kind of went by the wayside. Everybody wanted the kind of, you know, all the, the groovy, fruity 
bubbly stuff and it, that even put the nail in the coffin even deeper for it so what's your favorite flavor of cannabis i don't know you know i i really like effects but if i had to have a flavor i you know i do like that really bright lemon pine salt of og i like the mouth i like the stuff you can taste but you know if i had to really pin it down i like the really like deep roasted kind of bubba spice kind of um baked goods and sweets and and then i like the really feminine like she musk like the stuff that's just kind of really engages your neurons like makes you like stuff that you would like sexy smells i like that and then i like crazy weird i like the i'm also trying to like you know i make a lot of weird stuff i make a lot of onion and i make a lot of like pirate sweat and a lot of (laughs) um, i I try to make really weird smells i have like a garlic pickle like i'm making all these really weird lines that no one i'm sure will ever want to smell or smoke in this kind of roadkill projects that i'm working on but you know i just like extremes so i have a hawaiian that i love it smells like uh, gardenias and it has a really unique effect, but I think spice spice is my favorite. Spice and really bright uh, fruit. And so what's the most medicinal strain you've ever had for yourself? And do you feel that, you know, the quote, the most medicinal strain is going to vary from person to person? Or do you think that much like we do have strains that, you know, broadly treat certain conditions, it's very likely that, you know, maybe the strain you personally like the most, I might as well, because if it speaks to you, it possibly speaks to me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, you know, definitely s- certain strains are more specific for certain things, but it comes down, I think, to body chemistry and um, and and your own endocannabinoid system. I mean, I thought, I've even heard like, what was it, Raphael Mashulam, he was saying that he even believes that the endocannabinoid system is in part responsible for our own personalities, like how we are as humans and how we are as people, because our, you know, it's like a fingerprint. Everybody's endocannabinoid system is slightly different in the way it interacts with itself and then interacts with cannabis itself. And it can almost lend to make us who we are as humans. And so I think, you know, it's kind of like those people, I know people that smoke a, like a super racist sativa and they go to sleep. And then there's the people that smoke an indica and they want to do like a triathlon. So, you know, when it comes to CBD rich stuff and stuff, you, you know, it's pretty, you know, it, you're pretty, you know, what's going to happen. But I don't know. I, I think it really comes down to personal chemistry and finding what really works for you, you know, and, and also what find people really need to communicate. I think there should be I don't know why there's not a website. I mean, sure. I'm sure there is where people are logging that have uh, serious illnesses and degenerative illnesses, logging down what strains work for them for certain things like lupus or MS or like. Really, I would love to see a strain directory for uh, people that have honestly have things that are going on and really be able to correlate those too. For some people, it's, you know, necessary just due to the sheer amount of kind of cannabinoids they need to ingest. But do you think the idea of um, making concentrates, I guess specifically in the context of, say, dabs or, you know, those types of solventless or solvented Extractions, which are going to be ideally theoretically used through like a dab rig. So we're not talking about like, you know, RSO caps or whatever. So we're talking about that. Do you feel that you, while maybe some people gain a certain sense of medicinal value out of it, you're also losing a certain amount of ability to use the plant in a spiritual way? And I guess the way, the reason why I say this is because 
I'm not an overly spiritual person, but I mean, there's certainly times when I've had cannabis and felt those types of effects. However, I've never had such an experience with dabs. Admittedly, I'm not a huge dabber, but you know what I mean? Do you, do you feel it's the same? Like you're almost losing your link to the plant in a way when you do that? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I used to, same thing. I'm always like getting reeducated. Like I used to kind of look down on concentrates and dab. Like, oh, that's just like a bunch of crackheads. It's like, you know, it's like Planet of the Apes. A monkey's always trying to push it further, you know. And then I was like, and then I saw people like in Colorado as it started to catch on and people like Green Dot and all these people like really like honing their art. And I was realized, oh, my God, this is like this is people basically doing an alchemical process. This is kind of like a modern cannabis alchemy of uh, taking the vital essence and spirits and terpenes and and uh, volatiles and concentrating them. And I, I think it's, you know, for people that have serious illness, a dab is kind of like the only thing that's going to really, uh, get enough, get enough active constituents into their system to really find the relief. And I, I find it, I don't know. I find the whole dab culture like fascinating. I love how it goes hand in hand with glass and art. And it, it's, it's a really unique thing like a genre I, and I, it baffles me. I, you know, I don't do dabs. I, I would, I would probably like explode. Like I'm so hypersensitive. I think I would just lose it on a dab and, and you know, I smoke hash here and there and that, and I, that's pretty good, but maybe I should try it, but I don't think it's really for my system, but for people that enjoy it and people that have, you know, maybe smoke so much that that's the next logical step. I like that people are being creative and at least if they have to go that far to really make it unique and special and really push each other. I kind of like how people are always trying to come up with the most, most uh, terpy and most this and most that and try and capture all the volatiles. And, and, and I also, you know, I like, I don't know. I think it's just, it's a unique thing unto itself and I don't, judge and I, I really like how passionate people are about it but i mean personally I, I don't think it's kind of the way to go for the majority of people and i think it probably people that don't understand it kind of look down on it but it is a, it's amazing and even the people some of the people i respect the most love it and i'm like that is awesome i think that is so cool and i, I love so it's, it's a cool thing but not my thing but it is unique and it does have medical applications, but even the recreational applications, even though they can seem excessive and, and sometimes, you know, I've seen people at the cups take a dab and like, you know, fall backwards and land on their head. It's like, I think it comes down to being responsible and people having the intelligence to, to utilize these really potent cannabis concentrations uh, in amazing ways. And I think, you know, you could probably have a pretty, I think it would be like a bungee jump into the void. I'm sure you could probably have a kind of a spiritual experience with a dab. If you, once you're like, one, I don't, I don't know enough about it. I mean, the effects, I, I've never taken a dab. I feel like a dork for saying that, but I, I just know what would happen. Um, and you've never done a little sneaky red hot knife in the nineties. <laughs> I know, and everybody makes fun of me. It's like, you never take a dab, and everybody's trying to give me a dab, and I'm like, you know, it's usually at a cup or something, and that's like the last place I would ever want dab. Get a mass TD while you're at it. Yeah, people have given me amazing concentrates, and people do incredible jobs, and I love how, you know, and, um, you know, the highest grade BAM, he lives, he's in the area, and he gives me his pens sometimes, and those are so flavorful, they're so fun, and they're so awesome, and they have a good spirit, we've taken them traveling, and that's, you know, that's kind of about as far as I go with concentrates, I like a little hash, but yeah, I don't know, I think, 
I would just a dab would I would need to be in a meditative spot. I would need to be in my dome, like ready there, getting there in the lotus position, ready to just shoot into the void because that's way too much cannabinoids for my system. <laughs> it's almost bordering DMT for you. Yeah, it is. It's like a cannabis DMT and gung ho. I I honor all the people that can re, that have the, that can do dabs with intelligence and passion. I think you guys are awesome. You're like you're like uh, space commandos. <laughs> so yeah, go for it. And if you're passionate and you do a good job and you make a quality product, then more power to you and more power to everybody that's into it. All the glass artists and all the festivals like Chalice. That's like a dab festival. How crazy is that? That's amazing. Like this, yeah, cannabis in the whole community constantly blows my mind. So I just try and I try and not judge and just sit back and enjoy the ride that we're having because it sure is wild. Yeah, I mean, certainly used to be a lot more anti-dabs than I am now. But I think the thing which I see about it, which I think is going to be really hard to make it not problematic is, I, you know, the visual act of watching someone take a dab is quite akin to some other harder drugs so that's always going to be a hill to overcome but the other thing is i find a lot of people just blow their tolerance out of the water and then they really struggle to enjoy flowers afterwards and i think that's something you got to be super mindful of yeah no of course i mean i mean it's like that with at that point it kind of comes you know it really becomes a drug because yeah you're you're pushing yourself so far and bludgeoning your cannabinoid system so hard that yeah you're creating a, a pretty uh, and pretty intense tolerance. Yeah. Oh, well, to get onto something maybe a little more lighthearted, um, what was the biggest disappointment you've ever had in regards to popping seeds? And was it popping some land-raised seeds that you had high hopes for and they just turned out to be duds? Or was it, in fact, a line you made and likewise, you know, turned out to be a dud? Um, I, I've made some dud lines for sure. I, I made some... Yeah, I wonder what's the worst... I used to kind of remember, I used to kind of, I had some lines from other, I used to pop a lot more seeds from other people, like some of the big companies, and I've been let down a couple times. <laughs> I don't want to, like, I don't want to say any names or anything, but there was a while where it seemed like people weren't putting out qu- that quality of stuff, or people were just pushing stuff out too fast, or, you know, or I don't know. It, but, hmm, something that's disappointed me. Uh,. That's a tough one. You know, I I try and respect every plant I take into my lungs. You know, and I'll even weird stuff. Like my philosophy is usually it's the worst lurking bud that has the best effect. You know, it's usually this scraggly piece of weird thing that barely. And I always find it funny because on Instagram I'll post some of the sativa pictures, and they'll be like, "Learn how to grow," or "What is that swag?" or "What is that?" You know, like people and like they don't get like this is like such a like a rare like special rajasthani plant that i got from a baba who's like had it in his like sangha crew of sadhus for like eons and that's their special string and people don't realize that like some of these things that look funny they they are they have the most amazing effects so you know these days i try i give everything a chance i mean my most i guess disappointments would be smoking something that someone gave me that that obviously was wasn't grown correctly or had had lots of problems or really gross stuff on it or or grown with it you know i mean it's just it's i think it's the my most sad times when people don't respect the plant and still produce the product yeah so have you ever had um any 
seeds confiscated on the way back? Or maybe the alternative question is, do you send seeds back by mail or you take it a little more El Risky? <laughs> uh, I used to do always. I actually have been busted at, at the airport and it was kind of funny and synchronous stuff, but it scared the hell out of everybody. And my wife was waiting outside with our kids like for hours while they had me in the like strip search room. But uh, one of my one of my Nepali um, Himalayan kind of like when I was collecting seeds there, I think I collected like 15 lines and I had them all marked and I had them all um, in bags and I couldn't find this one bag. And I was like, you know, I hit them pretty good um, and I couldn't figure out where the hell I put it and I didn't know where it is. And, you know, I, I have secret ways of doing it. And, you know, of course, they pull me into the secondary and they're digging through all my stuff. And then in my toiletries, they find this bag of seeds and they're like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it's a snack. And they're like, oh, it looks like, um, you know, cannabis. I'm like, oh, it's probably it's hemp seeds. They eat those in Nepal. And they're like, and they're like, so they call a guy over, brings a little kit and they put little seeds in there and they shake it and it turns purple. And all of a sudden it was like all hell breaks loose. The guy freaks out. He grabs everything. He locks down. He hits a button. And they're like, oh, my God. He's like, you know, and everybody's scurrying, scrambling. Like, dude, it's just you see, like, I guess it came up positive. So the first guy comes through and he's like, stand there. And he's like, you know, he starts going through all my stuff. And he goes through. He's going through. He's going through. He almost gets to my stash of all my seeds that I brought over, you know. And then the next higher up guy comes up and he's like, let me look through this. And he starts over and he does, he does, he does, he almost gets there. And, and you know, and the next guy comes up the higher up and now they've, you know, I have all these guys around me and they're really freaking out. And then finally he's looking through everything and he's just about <laughs> to find it. And the head honcho comes up and he's like, did you search, did you search all those bags? And they're like, they're like, they're like, sketch. They're like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, you know, they put my bag down and they sent me and they did the strip search and all that. And they kind of, you know, they were saying they're going to send me to agriculture and find me. And they were, you know, threatening me and doing all these things. It was, it was pretty sad, but this craziest thing is they never got to those seeds. So I lost one pack, but I brought back like 15 and it scared the hell out of everybody. And now I have, I have more stealthy ways I do it. And, you know, I'm not going to say if I bring them on my person or send them or anything, just in case those yeah. special humans that want to bust me are listening. No, I don't have seeds on me. I don't do anything crazy <laughs> like that. They just magically get back to America. Yeah, that's how it should be. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very real danger. And people, you know, I, I say, send, you know, I do both. I say send them. Get some of that corrugated plastic that they use for um uh, signs for when the local like uh, city council they put those signs up everywhere they're usually printed on this corrugated plastic that make a great seed shipper and you just put that in an envelope and send it back home you usually do two send them from different places yeah. and you definitely get one i mean when i sent my seeds back from morocco i sent them in two different post offices i only got one but at least i got one you know i put the same seeds in each one knowing that one would probably wouldn't make it so where there's a will there's a way and I, you know, you just have to be stealthy and tricky and just cover all your bases. Sadly, I've experienced that. I too did the two packages and I, I lost the seeds you gave me. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Not- I'm sure we can figure out a way to magically get them somewhere near where you are. We have the technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, follow-up question. That was maybe a bit of a hairy situation you found yourself in the States. How about even worse in the other countries? You know, what's the hairiest moment you've been in in a foreign country? 
Oh my gosh. I've been a lot of like life threatening things, but for like actual, like getting busted kind of things. Oh, just whatever um, you rank to be the most kind of intense or, you know, scariest, so to speak. Uh, I mean, let me think. I think that's probably the scariest is when I was collecting seeds in Nepal during, still during their civil war. Uh, it was the Maoists against the, uh, you know, the ruling powers. I think that was in the early two thousands. And, uh, I was taking a bus to Pokhara and we had a convoy cause there was, you know, they still had a lot of problems. So they would send a military convoy with the bus and the convoy in front of us got blown up by the Maoists. Wow. So they blew up the car in front of us. That was about this, maybe the craziest thing ever, but you know, I've always been in dangerous situations, be it like, a, uh, you know, almost drowned once in this crazy boat in Belize on the way over to Livingston. Um, I'm trying to think what else, you know, even just being in Belize in, in the early nineties was super sketchy. Uh, Morocco, uh, Morocco is not my favorite place. They, people really just, the mountain people are beautiful, but it seems whenever I was in like towns, I was always getting swindled or mugged or people just weren't, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Morocco, but, um, I don't know, you know, maybe for actually busting cannabis type thing. Uh, I was in China and I had my pen with me and they sent me through the x-ray and it kept on popping up in the x-ray. Like, what's this metal thing? And I was like, oh my God, if, you know, China's like your death, I don't think it's death sentence, but you go to jail forever. And so it's all about the synchronicity and the magic, the same thing. They went, pushed it through twice, pushed it through twice. And then it, and they couldn't find it for some reason they couldn't find it. And finally, when it came through again, I kind of like, when they weren't looking, I kind of pulled it out and they went through it one more time and like, it didn't show up and like, Oh, whatever. And they sent me through, but I was like, Oh my God, what's going to happen to it? Especially if, you know, I'm like, Oh, it's like an e-cig or something. And you know, knowing in China, they don't want to try it. So I'm like, okay, I have five minutes for the effects to kick in to get all the way across the airport and into my next plane by the time they figure out kind of what's going on. But magically I made it through, you know, there, there's always things, but hopefully, you know, hopefully that's a thing in the past. I just want cannabis to be part of the world again. You know, it was basically our, our most utilized plant source from time immemorial. It was our very first cultivated plant. I mean, it's been with us for hundreds of thousands of years it's like our it's so it boggles my mind that it's not part of our heritage it's not you know we used george washington used to smoke it it was his favorite thing to sit on the back porch and smoke some hemp and you were supposed to grow i mean they it was a law you as a farmer you had to grow it like what happened it's like it really i don't it really boggles my mind that that we're that we're in this predicament and i'm really glad that we're coming out of it for sure so for the last section, we've got, oh, I shouldn't say last section, second last section. The last section is just some really quick answers, but second last section, we've got all the questions submitted by people who wanted to find out the inside scoop on mostly strains they're growing, but let's start banging through them. Okay. So go. the first one, <laughs> go. Uh, top five traits you look for in a good male? Uh, uniqueness, uh, a resinous male, like if you push it far into a flower, uh, structure uh really i think the uniqueness thing comes into the like uh, is just cultivating awareness with cannabis and really 
getting to know it so that you can kind of connect with your heart with it because you know plants have an electromagnetic field and if you can your heart is an electromagnetic field and if you guys if you can kind of do that that's where you can kind of it's this sixth sense of kind of breeding where you just know something is special but definitely i think first and foremost resinous males and structure and stability and you know stem rubbing is great i, I always encourage people to stem rub uh before sex and after because the smells do change you know and also also smell rub on the collar like up by the top and also down below you get a different get different smells um you know if, if you're breeding for color that's pretty obvious just find the best structured best stable purple male if you're you know going for purple um uh, uh, let's see if you're doing for for smell it's going to be resinous males Project wise, uh, it's just testing your females and your outcrosses and, and further F ones. I mean, it's it's really, it's really just kind of checking all your bases, fi- doing the best you can with your senses, and then you know that proofs in the pudding. The best way to know if you're doing a good job is grow them out, see how it did, see what's going on, test yeah. it. You know, testing that's a whole kind of strange thing these days. I noticed back when I started, if you didn't test, you'd get run out of town. It seems like the norm now is nobody tests. And even a lot of the breeders that used to be so super into testing have kind of gone by the wayside too. It's almost like it's people want things so fast and so new that they're willing to just risk it. And, and it's kind of like the people that maybe tested before don't want to be left alone behind. But I think testing is a, is an important part of, uh, not necessarily gifting, but if you're going to vent something, you want to make sure that it, it's stable and it, and it has all the desirable uh, features that you originally wanted to um, put into it. So I would say, people, you should test your stuff more, please. So, I mean, a question which stands to mind from that is, um, I heard from a few breeders that maybe they weren't being 100% serious, but I get the inkling that they were when they say things like, the demand for certain, say, flavors of the month or for new stock is so high that they almost feel like they don't have time to test all. As you said, they will get left behind. Do you think there is room in the current market for people to be able to test and stay relevant? Or do you think that the time lapse between creating a strain, testing it, getting it to market is going to kind of start to be problematic in today's market? Uh, I think for new breeders, I think there's like a impetus or a push like they just want to get it out. It's like they don't they don't have the time or they don't have the back history or they don't have the things and they just want to get their stuff out quick. But, you know, I mean, that's a short, it's short-sighted and maybe you'll get, maybe everybody will be super stoked and hype up your strain and you'll, you know, you become a new breeder, but it's not sustainable. Like then what happens when you're trying to do new stuff? I mean, yeah, I, I really think that it's, part of it and you know i mean another way to do it is too is if you do find your niche you don't have to deal with the strain of the week you're kind of creating your own new thing and people appreciate that for and another thing is is really find what you think is going to be the next big thing and maybe i i try and kind of imagine what's going to be big in the future and kind of you know i try and play a long game i kind of make stuff i'll start about a year behind of my projects and kind of think, okay, what, where is things going? Like what, what are people into and what do you, what can I bring to the table that might be unique and special, but also utilize what people are really into and kind of go from there. You know, like a lot, a lot of my newer ma- males are more focused on terps and resin 
Whereas some of the old ones, like, you know, Snow Lotus was more about bringing a sativa touch to everything and bringing like a hardiness. And the Appalachia was kind of bringing in the chem line in, in a different way and really um, adding a special spice to things. And, you know, G13 hash plant was kind of to allow to turn things into a hash plant, like a proper heavy duty, powerful strain. I think it's really, I think you can get out of the whole mindset of trying to push things so fast, so out so quick by just tuning into yourself and really also looking into the future and also finding your niche and finding, you know? Yeah. Without a doubt. You mentioned the snow Lotus line, possibly one of your more well-known ones alongside the sunshine daydream and, uh, gosh, forgetting the name of the other one. Oh yeah, oh Appalachia, and then there's a G13 hash plant, and then there's some random ones. Sorry, I, just the earlier strains we mentioned, the the ones that I thought were your two trademarks, Sunshine Daydream, and maybe it was Snow Lotus. Anyway, long story short, in terms of the information you find online about it, it it's an interesting one because it seems like you know there's little tidbits of information here and there. The thing which kind of consistently comes up is it says, you know, it's blockhead cross half gooey, and there's no sweet tooth traits present. What can you tell us more about it? You know, what was it specifically bringing to the table? Because, I mean, it's obvious from looking at the crosses it was a good male, but it, it's kind of hard to extrapolate what traits it was bringing given the somewhat the somewhat vague description. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a wild one. It was one of those strain – as a male, it was one of those ones that kind of, like, just communicated to me. Like, I just knew and, like, I saw it. And, it, you know, it has this unique trait of having that per- – and it follows through in a lot of its hybrids. It has this really purple stalk thing that goes on. All of it purples up its stalks. And I don't know, it, it literally, it was one of those things, kind of like a heart breeding thing where I just kind of connected with it and I felt it and I was like, oh, this thing is special. And then, you know, I, I outcrossed it to like Bubba and a couple of things that I know how things kind of come out with it. And, it, you know, and I noticed it was really allowing all the best traits to come through of the parent mother clone and then beefing up like a lot of uh that potency and frost and the structure and um yeah it was a really old the male was the really uh old blockhead and then it was kind of mixed with our kind of classic late 90s early 2000s uh afgu that a lot of people grew uh, you know there's every every town and city and environ has these kind of like special clones that everybody kind of grew back then like back then we had like s15 and banana and and Afgu and all these, you know, clones. And Afgu was was a really amazing, like, kind of Hawaiian haze Afghani, but it kind of leaned more to the Afghani. And it had it, did, it didn't smell so great. It was kind of like a muted kind of berry-ish. But the effect and the resin content was just, like, off the charts. And so it makes it makes a – I think it's a really underrated plant. I think it makes a great bre- breeding plant. Um, and then that – that P19 or product 19 or whatever the blockhead, it had a little sativa in it, it had uh, whatever it was. What was it called? Um, I forgot exactly, sweet but it, it was, uh, well, it has, it doesn't have, it's sweet tooth. And then like a uh, P uh, product oh. 19, P19. It was uh, from that what, crazy Yaki or whatever it was. One of uh, breeder Steve's friends gave him this crazy sativa and that was the cross. And it called it blockhead because it made these really kooky flat tops and it was really strong and, virulent and and that male didn't really have too much sweet tooth going on like it really kind of captured that kind of really exotic and powerful and like virile 
um, sativa aspect of it. So that combined with the afgu just made this really unique and special plant. And what surprised me with it was it was so like clear in breeding, like it would just lightly put its own kind of magic into crosses. It would kind of just beef up whatever cross, but allowed a lot of the smells, you know, sometimes in certain crosses that were probably super multi poly hybrids, it would, it, the snow lotus would kind of pop through and you would get that kind of muted kind of berry. And even in the, you know, in like the goji OG, you get, you, you know, you get the berry of the snow lotus, but you get the, the, you get that lemon pine salt of the OG and it was kind of this perfect balance. And, you know, I tried many different OGs originally to try and before the Nepali to try and find one that really kind of had that magic. But yeah, that was just a really amazing male. And I, that's why I kept it for so long. And that's why I always used it because I don't know, it just, it was, it just spoke to me and it just did such great stuff and indoors and outdoors, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big outdoor breeder, but these days I, I I've, I kind of am, but beginning it was all indoors, you know, and, and it, it made amazing indoors and outdoors. So I, I really, I really respect and love that plant a lot because for what it did. Yeah, I've made some hybrids with uh, the Super Snow Lotus and the Tranquil okay. Elephantizer, and I found Snow Lotus comes through great in both of them, and it's really mm. nice influence. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful, and it has in the Snow Lotus female it was such an amazing, beautiful plant. Like if you ever saw pictures of it, it grew like a lotus. It like it didn't grow like a normal cannabis. It made these like weird strange beautiful flowers and it was a dark kind of like blackish and it had a very like a he- i call it like a heady indica like it definitely grew like a sativa but it had that deep body but with a really open vast mind yeah i've seen some photos of that one it looks really nice with kind of the uh what's the word the uh almost like a little bit of foxtailing going on that makes it look like the lotus yeah 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 it's got like an inflorescent like yeah almost like a hand like a crab yeah. or something so, a lot of people have commented on how nice that Cali orange mail looks on your Instagram. Are we ever going to see any more of that? You know, I, 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 I kind of, my Cali cut got dudded, which is sad. But, you know, dudded plants, you can still breed with them and it, it's not a problem. It, the genetics are still things. So, I tried to make a lot of different hybrids with the Cali before I let it go to kind of work with. I made like a Wookiee Cali And I have a lot of Cali esque males that I'm kind of playing with, but. You know, the whole orange thing, it's difficult to get something super just that epic orange flavor and not, you know, a lot of things have that kind of fake orange or they have that kind of a, a lot of them, most of things are like that skunky orange. So it's, tangy. It's, yeah, so it's kind of, it's one of those on the back burner that I play around with and I keep on mixing into other things. It's kind of like a side project for my own self and I'm slowly making a, like an orange tool out of it, you know, I'm. Uh, yep. mixing it with different yep. things you know and you know i'm right now i'm trying to make a couple different inbred tools like a lemon tool and an orange tool just so i can hit it to things and be like oh you want this with a little lemon here you go you know and, and same with the the purple unicorn i got it to a point now where i can take turn things basically anything purple and it still it still creates some great things and even now with the dragon's blood it's to a point where I can cross it to other plants and they're all going to have that blood red uh, sap come out. Like it's a dominant trait now at about F4, F5. It's passing that red sap trait onto everything. So, I mean, that's one thing about making your tools is you can, you can do some cool stuff if you kind of just take time and make stuff to work with. 
Do you have a plan to work with the uh, Big Sur Hollyweed again? Not really. You know, I don't. I I don't. The funny thing is, a lot of people ask. I get a lot of emails and people ask for seeds, and I'm. I usually just give. You know, if someone's really passionate about something and they really want it and they can't find it, I'll usually dig through. Like I have some seconds, and I'll, I'll try and find it and just give people out if they're going to do projects and stuff. But I don't really have a, those seeds left, and I, I just have the one mom and it's a little bit dudded and my friend that lives, you know, pretty close. His big thing is the, uh, big sir, holy weed. So I, he does an ama- amazing, phenomenal job. And so I kind of just like, you are, you're crushing it on this one. So I'm just, I, I'm not even kind of really go there. I might maybe make some crosses with my, my female that's left, but not in no plans in the, in really in the future. And, you know, I know there's packs out there and I always encourage people to, make more seeds from the packs, especially the Narika. Like, you know, the people, I don't make a lot of Narika packs because they're kind of a, it's a pain in the ass to make those seeds because it's usually the super long flowering sativa and stuff. So if you got any packs of Narika, please make more and give them out to everybody. You know, I really encourage people to, to make, to, if you got rare seeds, make more, especially if they're mine, pass them out. It's like, I, you know, especially if they're deadlines, you guys, everybody can work them. There's no restrictions on my stuff, on my stuff. I be as creative as you want to please, you know? Okay. So who are some of the upcoming breeders who you kind of keeping an eye on, you know, you kind of think they're doing some good stuff. Um, well, you know, I don't, I only really get to interact with some of the ones I know personally, um, so it's hard for me to say, like, I love seeing all the pictures and where people are going and, and all that. Um, but that's a tough question. You know, like some of my friends that I, that I know that I've seen their stuff and we trade stuff a lot. I, I really get inspired by like Doc D and Stray Fox and Snow High and Inspector. It's mostly the people that I kind of interact with that on a, on like a non-internet level is, is, is what I get to see. And then people like out and about, you know, I, I love what some of the Spanish guys are doing. I like a lot of the land race guys. I love like what Charlie does. Like his, he's like a super ancient uh, grandpa of the scene. And I love, uh, and I, you know, I like what Ace does. And I even like, uh, um, what's Nagpa Sea Company that does all the cool Indian jungly stuff. Oh, um, oh no, a uh, real seed company. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Like anyone, I like people that are, you know, I really like preservation. I like people doing land race stuff, like delicatessen. I like people doing, like, really pushing into different, like, extreme areas, like really pushing outside of the norm. Those are the people that I kind of really like. I like the whole extreme possibilities. I like people doing their niche. So, you know, for me, it's people that are pushing things in new directions. That's, I think, you know, and I don't know who's you know who it's hard for me to tell what's you know like these days is like the fake news what's hype and what's not so until i really try something it's like it's hard to say but you know anyone that's passionate and that has a niche and is following their heart and is cool and is humble and is really just enjoying themselves and i think those are the people that are like so i don't know that's kind of vague but so next question is have you had any experience with the landrace strain known as Zamel or, you know, like the Reunion Island landrace strain? Because I've grown some myself. It seemed pretty cool, but 
more importantly, I've heard from a lot of people online that they kind of consider it to be the most trippy weed there is. So I'd be interested mm. to know, you know, like what for you was the most trippy and if you've tried the Zamel or, you know, anything from Reunion Island, how did that compare? Well, you know, I've always wanted to go to Madagascar and then to Reunion to, to collect seeds. So someday, but, you know, I, I think a lot of the people that talk about that Zamal as being like one of the most epic ones, it was, you know, uh, Garrett, from what was his he did warlock and did a what's his sea company he's no longer with us but he had a cut of zamal that went around europe and spain that ever but everybody just raved about and it was like the super psychedelic and i i've tried um zamal and crosses like a, in the ace crosses and but you know i've never got to experience a pure zamal and i know that a friend zamalito it's one of his favorites and i, I would love i you know i'm always growing out weird you know crazy stuff to see i'm looking for that kind of like ultimate high that everybody take you know talks about like that super psychedelic high and i you know i have experienced it once in guatemala and it was kind of what was i always call it the tomb bud but it was like i've never experienced anything anything like it since it was kind of like um i don't know it came on like nitrous it came on in this weird like harmonic hum oscillating and like it basically just transformed the world it was almost like i don't know kind of like if you're familiar with like the the family of like a aryl cyclohexamines it's a kind of a psychedelic family like something like that or um i don't know but it came on like nitrous and it was so soft it was and it was like a cartoon world and me and my wife smoked it in guatemala and it, it just ever since then i've been like chasing that and i've i've had hash in the himalayas where it just turned everything into the most ecstatic joyful dream um i've had flowers from this one baba in in, in the annapurna range that i go visit all the time when i when i go back there and he, i don't know if it's the prayer he said over it or it's chillum but he had some pretty swaggy looking flowers that just took me to like another level um, I've had a Oaxacan that was so psychedelic. It made me feel like I was like on the end of a mushroom or an ayahuasca kind of journey. But it seems like it's always the point of origin places that have those experiences. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm always searching. I, I definitely have some psychedelic strains, but nothing that just completely transforms reality like some of these places that I've gotten at their point of origin. Yeah, okay. So, yes, I would love to try a good Zamal cut. <laughs> so for maybe a little more lighthearted question oh, i'm so glad we got this is pineapple a legitimate pizza topping um yeah i mean isn't there there's like that hawaiian pizza everybody digs i think you put whatever you want on your pizza i think it's pizza's like your own kind of like mandala of vegetables and nutrition you could be as creative and expressive you you want i like to see people get even more creative with pizza like with crazy like Szechuan peppers and neat spices and maybe like fruits that don't have a long shelf like like life like mulberries I think you know anytime people get creative I love it so yeah I think pineapple maybe people can up their game and even do something more crazy than pineapple but sure <laughs> pineapple's cool it cuts the takes the edge off well talking about pushing it to the next level what are your future projects in the pipeline not necessarily related to pizza but um specifically in regards to males you know what's what's on the horizon well i'm pretty excited about this new afghani male that i'm working with because it's it's so 
So what I've been, you know, I've grown out a million zillion different Afghanis from modern to vintage, different companies. And, you, I've, you know, I get close, but I've never got that one. It's just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like so acrid. It's like gamey. It's not like roadkill, but it's just like this whole other thing. And uh, these Artifact One, these old vintage Afghanis that I'm finally popping they have that and I'm so excited and it's so gross and it makes me so happy because it's another kind of like a, it's another puzzle piece in the whole RKS thing. And I think if I, you know, have that one RKS line, I've been working forever. And I think if maybe, maybe these two meet, I think we might have it, or maybe I have a, some other, I have some sativas that are kind of that gross that I think if they, if they might meet, I think we might just have it, but just all in all, it, it just has a different, it, it's such a different smell and, you know, I always say if it smells different, it's going to have a different effect. If it smells good, it's going to have a good effect. It's like, you know, I, I've tried preliminary samples, and I think it's pretty special. So I'm excited about that. I got, let's see what else, doing a lot of the dragon's blood work to see if I can turn everything in my stable with red blood as a marker. So then I can make OGs that, you know, when you know that are identifiable, like, Oh, this one bleeds red. It must be this. You know, it's a great genetic marker. Let's see. We got some old Vin- Williams Wonder. I'm popping again to see if I can make ooh, Temple ooh. again. Tiger's Milk. I have got a, a lot from an old timer friend. All his weird old stuff. Um, some lemon and some orangey stuff. And uh, let's see what else. I'm going to do some dirty hippie line work. And. What else? I got a backyard full of all kinds of wacky stuff. So, um, you know, I'm most excited. Oh, and I got, oh, I got a lot of cool sativas. Oh, I got just, you know, some of Charlie's stuff I'm trying, and I've got some old Herbaria Bushman that I revived. And then I'm doing a ton of, uh, of my, uh, Himalayan stuff for Narika. I'm trying to make more watermelon hash plant and then some, some of the other lines that I never released from those areas. Uh, what else? Just, just going for it. Just, anything you know every year it's so fun because i just go through, i have a huge seed collection and i have a big seed fridge and i just go what this year do i want to just go with and you know there's so much i can only do like this fraction of it but that's why i encourage people to get a big seed collection like really i mean it's so fun because you can just you can just follow your bliss you can every seed is an adventure every seed is a, like opening a book you know just, so i think that's the main stuff i'm dorking out on the a1 afghani is that the same as Afghani number one or a different thing altogether? No, I just call it, I, I just kind of renamed it. I got it. it I had a, a kind of an offline f- old friend that owed me um, a favor. So he gave me some really rare seeds and it just said roadkill. And it was an old vintage line from NorCal. And I was like, oh, cool. This is going to be neat. Like I thought maybe it'd be a roadkill skunk or something, but it just turned out to be a, a really like vintage old super gross afghani i'm like okay this is cool and so instead of calling it roadkill because it's not because people get so uptight these days if if it's not exactly how they remember it's not roadkill kind of thing so i just called it artifact a1 or afghani one like artifact one like it's a it's that true acrid artifact that no one's really coming up with but i know existed okay and so another question we got, I don't know if it was a typo or whether it was correct, so I'll just read it as it is. Um, what can you tell us about the A35 clone that was used in the Deep Line Alchemy number three? Um, oh, yeah. One of our viewers has sent in the question saying that 
specifically, if you could tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the line and if you would expect some good males to come from it, because he was considering breeding with it, but he wasn't sure if it was the right type of line to breed with and just wanted to know your opinion. As a hybrid, I think a lot of those, the deep line alchemy are more for hash making and traditional hash making, but I think they would make great combos with other lines if you especially because they're hybrids are you know that those they're usually pretty inbred plants and by making a hybrid they, it breaks their dominance on like future hybrids so you know i would experiment um the a35 was a uh, a gift from a really awesome guy named black bart um and he they were an old 35 uh, year old afghani that he's had for a while and um you know he said they had some pretty skunky phenos and there's a lot of neat stuff so um I grew them out. I grew out quite a bit, and the line was really cool. And I found one that was just like really just like it looked like just a someone had bred it for a long time over in Central Asia just for hash. So it was super resinous, super dark, super virile, and it had um, the smells are really kind of muted. But when you make concentrates or hash or water hash, they really come out like they'll you get like licorice, like you get these really complex kind of. Um, oily earthy smells that you don't smell so much in the plants but that makes amazing concentrate so the a55 has a really great effect and it, it's a great plant and it has this kind of unique licorice scent i don't know if i'll be using it in the future but for that purpose it seemed like a, a good thing okay nice and so likewise we've seen some photos of i don't know if it's the name of the strain or just what you kind of dubbed it the, the uh the ethiopian paintbrush as well as, um, you know, the actual strain Ethiopian hash plant or the watermelon hash plant. Both of these sound, you know, beyond exotic, so to speak. Can you tell us a little more about them and if there's any chance we'll see them publicly available? Yeah, um, I think so, yeah. I mean, right now, the, the, well, the Ethiopian was a gift from a, a friend whose family comes from um, that area, and it... Um, the plants that came out were really special. Like it definitely you could tell it was kind of like an heirloom or land race from that area. They were sativa, but they were, um, they had kind of same, some of the things that you could tell they might've been worked kind of like in how South Africa, they have some of their sativas they've worked down so that they're relatively quick flowering, kind of like the Chisky and the Durban, some of the Durbans that are pretty quick. Um, Th- these Ethiopians were relatively quick, but they had really amazing terpene signatures, and they had a really joyful kind of meditative focused buzz. And the two ones that I kept were the Ethiopian banana one, which smells kind of just like bananas, which I, I thought was really cool. I love that. And then the Ethiopian paintbrush um, smelled just like kind of like paint thinner. And then there was another little guy too called the Ethiopian spider, and it just was the weirdest plant ever. It had the thinnest leaves, and it would like weave its way through plants like to get to the light almost like kind of like a creeping vine and so the ethiopian banana i kind of started using it with the wookie and kind of bringing out those banana kind of use it for banana terps and add a little more kind of an exotic um hit to things and then the paintbrush is a little more strong it's more of that kind of classic kind of mindful sativa and so those are kind of just ones that i i personally enjoy and i've kind of been slowly working with them and you know i've given out the banana to a few friends and they're playing with it and it's just a neat it's a neat ethiopian line it's 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 not you don't always find the greatest land you know land races are hit or miss and usually need to go through quite a few to find unique things but once in a while you get these lines where they 
I don't know if they're heirlooms or what, or you're, we're just lucky, but you get a lot of really cool stuff in just a, in just a small spectrum. So I always kind of enjoy that. And then, you know, the watermelon hash plant was just kind of my first, I guess it was a Bodhi Seeds release, but it was kind of technically kind of like Nerika. It was one of my early uh, uh, hash plants I collected in the um, Annapurna range of, of Nepal that, that was just this beautiful um, fox-tailing giant, like, relatively quick for the Himalayas um, hash plant that smelled just like like fresh like watermelon. And so, the, you know, I let those out, I think maybe it's been forever, maybe even like 10 years ago, I don't know. Um, and uh, I think people have used those. I think they got used in the auto. There's a famous kind of CBD line in uh, Colorado. And I, I believe the watermelon hash plant was used in the making of auto, which is a CBD line from there. And then a lot of other people have really enjoyed it. But for some reason, no one ever really made any more. I've never seen anybody give them out or make more. Like So this year, I decided to make some more, and they're kind of going now. So people get to kind of experience the watermelon hash plant, hopefully, again. It's a good breeder, and it really kind of gives you the, the taste of the kind of Himalayas. Sounds awesome. And so... Yeah. What land race variety has left the most lasting impression on you? Or maybe another way to phrase it is what's been the most unique? You know, I for smoking, I really love the Himalayan stuff. Like, it doesn't make good flowers, but it makes the most amazing hash. And I don't know. I For land races, there's something about that area and the culture and the religious use and the people and the trails and how old it is and all the lines and all of how all the valleys have uh different microclimates and different like variations on the strains and families have different things and some to feed the feed the cattle you know some they use for veterinarian some for they use for chutney and some they use the babas use to get high my there's such a, an amazing and vast spectrum of cannabis in the himalayan valleys and in the cultures that utilize them that like, I don't know, I think that's my heart. And that's like, if I could just be myself to heaven, like it would be smoking a big chillum of like Himalayan hash and just trekking into the mountains and just smiling at all the people you walk by. And I, that place, I, if I just tell everybody and their grandma, if there's one thing you're going to do, if you're depressed, if your life sucks, do whatever you can trim, work at McDonald's, just make enough money and just go trekking in the Himalayas life will become clear like you will it'll really nourish your heart and soul and especially in nepal right now because after the earthquake they had they're having a pretty hard time I, I mean some of the valleys i used to really love i've been completely wiped out so i mean i would say so i mean i guess to get to it the himalayas although i do that that guatemalan tomb bud though that is still number one and some of the oaxacans that i've tried are amazing morocco or not my favorite um China, yeah. uh, Laos, pretty awesome. Um, I don't know wherever I've been all over the place, but uh, yeah, Himalayas and the Guatemalan tomb mud and the, some true Oaxacan. Awesome. So, any plans for any new Ortega lines to be released? Uh, from from Jim or of the or uh, or of the, from the seed line Ortega? From the seed line. Uh, you. uh, well, not really. You know, um, I made the zombie dong with the, <laughs> that with the Ortega cut, and um, I don't have the Ortega cut anymore, but I do have 
I made some seeds, like some F2s, and I I do have some zombie dong seeds. Maybe I could uh, do some F-gen and those. Those were pretty creepy. And these giant, they were like these are giant long donkey, donkey phallus buds that smelled kind of like onions and walking dead kind of. So some people like that, and it would knock people out. It was great for sleeping. Um, so maybe some zombie dong, but other than that, I don't think so. I might give out some snow lotus Ortega freebies. So, but yeah, that's about it on the Ortega. So, do you have any lines that you've made for yourself, specifically for yourself, that you can never envision giving out to the public? So, I'm sure there's a lot of lines which, you know, just sitting in the fridge, so to speak. But do you have any where you were like, I'm making this and I'm never going to give it out to the public? Well, no, you know, I... That would be sad if not, I not had in them. a selfish way, but you know what I mean. Where yeah. maybe you were thinking like, no, I, I need it for future projects or something like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'll sit on things, but I, there's never a point where I'm like, that's never getting out. I have a couple like clone onlys that I haven't even given to like friends, but I'm sure if they ask, I'd be like, oh yeah, try this. And I think that I'm gonna some of my like personal favorites that I don't ever let out. I might let out maybe. You know, there's a couple plants like my Stevie Wonder. I've never given to anyone because it's. It's one of my earliest crosses, and it's it's such an awesome thing. I wouldn't want to see it get kind of just taken apart. And um, but you know, I have a couple special things that I want to give out eventually. Like I have the access access, which is a really awesome plant. It's like a, a Congolese hash plant, and I have this one called Lush that I really love. That's a pure Kush Lao that I think needs to eventually get out. And you know, I. I try and just, I don't, my, I have so many seeds in my fridge. Like I try and just whenever I can get them out. Like, so I, I do a lot of freebies and there's nothing really that, you know, things, the only things that aren't coming out to the public are things that I, I think are dangerous. Like maybe still have latent hermaphroditic tendencies or things that I wouldn't, things that are more that I wouldn't want that pe- impact people in a negative way are kind of like what I hold back or crosses that I think are too dangerous or even, you know, there's some testers I won't even send out to testers because I don't, I just do it myself because I don't, I don't trust the cross enough to want to even have people put their time and energy into it. So I think everything will come out. There's no, there's nothing that I'm going to hold on for dear life. Yeah. Okay. And so do you have any advice for people on how to best pheno hunt? I think what the viewer was looking for was maybe things like, is there like a certain size pot you like to use where it's kind of small enough that you can get a lot of plants in but big enough to get a good representation of the plant? Or, you know, just in general, what are your kind of tips for pheno hunting in general? If I'm trying to run through a lot, I I put, um, I don't know what size those are. It's like there's pretty tall square pots and they fit eight to a tray. What is that, like a quarter gallon or a half gallon or something? Um, I like those. You can pretty much keep them healthy. It's, and you got to throw them right in right when they sex. Um, and that works really good, and you can kind of just stack those up. Um, when I do a lot of the outdoor to indoor work, I usually use uh, three gallons and wait till they sex. And as soon as they sex, I'll clone them and th- run them inside and see uh, how they do inside. Um, I mean, but you can – I mean, you can, I know people that do kooky stuff like, you know, do 12, 12 from seed and, and run them in like these micro pots. And just like, you know, I, people do amazing things with, a, a with a, not a lot of space. And I've seen like insane open pollinations in people's like showers where they just like, 
run things, you know, 12, 12, uh, even sativa is 12, 12 from seed, like in these tiny little things and just put like a couple hundred in there. And I'm just like, whoa. And, you know, and then people will re-veg those. And I'm like, that is awesome. So I say be creative. But for me, I, I, I usually try and anything that fits about eight to a tray, one of those standard black trays. It's good. Another little off-topic one. What was your favorite year of Grateful Dead music? Um, I would say probably the times that I would go. Like, I know I'm not like the world's ultimate Grateful Dead. Ed. I usually just went more to get uh, for the parking lot culture because I it was I loved it and I loved all, seeing all the pe- freed up people and shake down the street and all the music and I loved getting my LSD and mushroom supply for the next couple months. <laughs> gotcha, but um. You know, I would say I I I think the first I the first time I ever saw them is I took I got, my mom got me a bus pass so I could go to the record stores and I could go to the libraries and look at weird books about plants when I was in the beginning of high school and I remember I took the bus one day to the from Huntington Beach to Long Beach to the Dead show and I think I was maybe like 16 so it was like just it was pre-touch of gray when I think that's kind of when everything turned weird for me because I uh, so I would say maybe like eighty seven or something. Although I know all that everybody says, oh, those sucked. I mean, but so just the times it went, you know, from maybe eighty nine to ninety or eighty seven to ninety five. Okay. But I am in no way a, a big, I'm not, you know, I've been to lots of shows, but I can't say I'm like super deadhead because there's so many people that are just boggle my mind with like, you know, they're like, oh yeah, that's the year where they went trying to sunflower into a fire on the mountain, you know, like, and like their minds, like how my mind has music and strains, they have the mind of like grateful dead information. And I think that is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the knowledge some people have on it all is pretty crazy the way they can tell tell the year and the show just from listening to the audio <laughs> yeah it's beautiful and my thing about the grateful dead is i personally more than music and anything i honor them and i respect and i give so much thanks for them for being the traveling psychedelic dispersion mechanism for you know for 50 years like if they didn't exist the world america would be a totally different place they toured and took uh, you know like heart-opening, mind-opening substances all over the Americas, not to mention all, all the seeds that went out and disseminated all over the United States. They were like this, this like a circus of awakening that moved through time and space all through America, and without them, I don't know what it would be like today. So I give maximum props to the Grateful Dead. Thank you for creating a community that made the world different. Yeah, I agree, and as, as I think especially given Chemdog owes its origins to the car park scene, so to speak, it's uh, yeah certainly needs to have its homage paid. This is probably going to be the last question from the viewers who's just managed to squeeze it in two minutes ago. Um, oh, wow. Good job. Yeah. Long story short, he wants to know, he's got a few questions in here, but I think the best one is, are you working with any of the more old school clones, like for example, the New York Haze, you know, which is also known as the Uptown Piff, uh, Skelly Hash Plant, one of my favorites, or the Shoreline? You know, I haven't. See, I'm kind of funny. I don't. It's hard for I'm me to get some of these really unique clones these days. I kind of just uh, do it 
hand to hand. So I don't get to try some of the, all the super neat stuff. I kind of have to wait for it to get to me, but I do have a lot of the old stuff. Um, the Skelly's in my area, but I don't, I haven't been authorized <laughs> yet to have it. So, um, that may be someday, but I have smoked it and I do think it's pretty awesome and rad. I like that. Um, I love that the Cuban black haze is a unique plant. I, I work with that some, I made that bandaid haze with that, which is kind of like a, my version of a piff churchy plant. And people tend to really like that. Um, the Cuban black haze by itself is, is a un- really strange plant cause it gets so big and it takes, you know, kind of takes kind of a while, but it kind of like, I call it like a tequila weed. Like, you know, it has that certain Mexicans have that too. It's like this sloshy kind of like psychedelic slosh, kind of like if you mix alcohol and sativas, it's like this really sloshy kind of tequila, like wild buzz. And then shoreline, uh, I would love to see a good shoreline. I won't, I've never grown a shoreline. I've only heard cool things about it, how it's like almost like a roadkill thing, you know, those, and there's the dumpster. There's so much cool, neat stuff. I, you know, and that's, I love, like, I grow crazy weird every day. You know, I love to grow as many possible clones that people give me because I just love to check it all out. I mean, if I get to see it, it just, you know, I go into my room, I get so excited to see what plants are doing, and especially these clones and what, you know, what's the hype of the day or what's the old hype. Like, it's so satisfying to kind of see and experience these plants. And that's what I tell people about cannabis. It's like there's no other pursuit on earth besides maybe being a chef where you can be so creative and so there's so much uniqueness um and then when it's all said and done you get to inhale it and it becomes alive in your mind there's no other pursuit you know you can race car you can do all this you can cook you can make a fabulous food sure it it satisfies all your senses like your touch your sight your smell your sound but cannabis is the only thing that hits all of those and you get your mind open too it's like like that's the ultimate like something that satisfies all your senses and you get to bring it into your body and experience it that way i don't think there's anything else like that yeah i think uh the food one's a good analogy i wouldn't have thought of that myself yeah because there's awesome chefs like in it's visceral you can make the coolest stuff and it 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 smells good it tastes good it makes you feel good but it doesn't change your mind maybe kind of but yeah so one of the last couple of questions I always like to wrap it up with is if you go back to one place uh, in history and time, so to speak, where would you go, you know, to collect some land race seeds? I'm going to collect seeds? Um, huh. I would love to go to Iran right before the Ayatollah kind of kicked in, like before they threw out the Shah, when it was like, when it was, have you ever seen pictures of Iran before the the yeah um, it's very western looking it was so western everybody knows there was no burkas everybody was so it was like this modern everybody was so happy they must have had some really awesome strains before you know that and you know I, you know, people say like afghanistan before the soviet invasion but i don't know you know my you know i think i'd really like to go is i would love to go along the silk road like way back maybe like in the like thousand bc and just experience all of that because people talk about the hippie trail and all that and you know all that's where all these cool seeds and strains came from but the hippie trail is like relatively new the silk road was where it was at people were 
you know, it went from China all the way to like the Mediterranean and people were trading, you know, linens and seeds and fruits and nuts. And of course, seeds were coming from China going through all these months, seeds from that things that was like, that was like the mod. I mean, if there was one age, I think of when cannabis was really kicking into gear and really people making some cool stuff, it was back, uh, on the Silk Road when it was really pumping. Yeah, without doubt. So, which strain has... Uh, the way I normally phrase it is, which strain do you like the least? But I have a feeling you'll say you like all strains. So, I'll say, which one um, Which one kind of spoke to you the least? I mean, like growing or, or uh, taking uh, into my body? Yeah, consumption. Let me see, which one that I don't like? Hmm... I'm trying to think if there's any strain that just made me feel like super gross. Um, that's hard, you know, because they <laughs> their personality. Uh, I'm trying to think. It, it's I smoked so many strains. I should like really write down like this thing drove me nuts. I can't really answer that. I don't. I don't know. I've grown some strains that kind of sucked, but smoking it what what just sucks i don't know i mean maybe smoking hemp pawned off as buds in some foreign country um yep you got me on that one i have i can't i cannot answer that i don't even know but as soon as i find something that really sucks i will remember it and i will get it to you not to (laughs) We'll have to do an update at that point. <laughs> that was like a stumper. It's like, okay. All righty, final question. I wanted to end it on a bit of a controversial one. Not really for you, but I think it'll be pretty funny. So shout out to my friend Art from Roundtable Selections for submitting this one. I think the best way to end it will be just to give a simple yes or no answer, okay? <laughs> oh, no. What is it? Do you think the earth is flat? Oh, um. You know, the universe is a really unique and special, magical place that amazes me every day. I, I personally don't think it's flat, but um, I don't know. I, I get I get amazed and um, every day at some of the things I learned, and I wouldn't put it past the Earth to be some crazy thing. I like flat. I, I don't know where the water goes, but I, I'm down, you know. I'm just happy to be here alive on planet Earth. I don't care if it's flat, if it's round, it's square. I'm just so stoked that I won the lottery to be a human on this planet in this time with all these people doing all this crazy stuff. It's the planet of the apes. Who cares? I'm just happy to be here. So it doesn't really matter what shape it or form it is for me. I guess that wasn't a yes or no though. So I'm going to say if it was like, uh, like a scantron and my life depended on it, I'm going to say, no, it is not flat, but I'm open to extreme possibilities. And if it was flat, I don't really care. Cause I kind of dig just being here. Fantastic. Fantastic. What a fitting ending. <laughs> okay. Well, it's very, very archetypal of Bodhi to just be exploding with happiness. <laughs> yeah, I think it's rad. Sure. If it's flat, awesome. If it's round, yes. I just like being here. So give thanks. Fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on the show and spending a whopping four hours with us. Oh, wow. That's, that's a long time. It just cruised past. I still even had more stuff to talk about. Well, Let's jam it in. <laughs> oh yeah, we can jam it in. I also want to pe- encourage people, even uh, well, not everyone, 
But people, use your intelligence. I would love everybody to um, definitely do more psychedelics. I think this is very important in a breeding philosophy to connect with the earth, the plants, and yourself. But do it responsibly and do it in nature. And you think all all forms of psychedelics, any particular ones? Like I've got friends who particularly advocate for mushrooms because they find it to be a little more el natural. Yeah, I would say, I, I would, for me, I would say if you're interested in plants and plant breeding and cannabis, my thing is like spirit plants. I'm going to say if you enjoy where cannabis takes you and, and, the, and what it does for you, there's many plants on planet Earth that have been strategically uh, planted here to open your mind and connect you into deeper places, spaces, healings. Um, it's, it, you know, cannabis isn't the only plant. It, I think it's our primordial, I think it's like our our definitive ally plant. But I think there's so many unique plants out there just waiting to teach you things. And I think that we can develop a greater appreciation of nature, ourselves, and the planet by going into these states. I don't advocate recreational psychedelic use, but I, I, I responsible, personal, or group uh, in, with a positive setting, setting, I think go for it, please, everyone. I mean, expand your mind, get in touch. You know, find find that special place in your heart that that opens up to all creation. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, just out of curiosity, have you ever used uh, salvia, and what were your experiences on it? You know, it's funny. Is I have a I collect salvia strains <laughs> too. So I, I actually, I have about five now, but you know, so, I mean, I, I, is it okay if I, it's a little bit of a story. Is that okay? Yeah. We love stories. <laughs> so, um, you know, back when I was young, I always wanted to be an ethnobotanist. And so my, our first big adventure, my friend was really into archeology span and I was really into, um, ethnobotany. So I brought my Plants of the Gods cards, and he brought all of his archaeological books, and we did our first big trip in our 20s. We landed in Cancun, and we like hitchhiked and uh, rode buses because the infrastructure for tourism was a lot different back in the uh, 1990. And we went all through the Yucatan, all through Belize, all through Guatemala, all through Mexico, and all the way back, all the way to Tijuana. Um, and my big thing is he wanted to see the temples, and I wanted to retrace the uh, footsteps of Argard and Wasan in his search for the mushrooms so after we did all the temples we got to go up and we went to Wautla de Jimenez in the Sierra Mazatec to experience uh the you know the culture of mushroom shamanism and all the other plants they use and one of the things is we had our card and it was a rare mint type plant that no one quite knew about or what how it worked and that was a salvia divinorum before people got kind of turned on to it and um it was before they realized that it was a masticating plant, like it went through your mucous membranes. So we found a woman that, you know, took her all day to hike to the place and got it. And then she made us these like shamrock shakes where she just blended it in the water. Um, yeah. And that was, yeah. and, you know, we drank those. And since you don't really, it gets destroyed in your gut. We got these really light effects from it. And it was so beautiful and so feminine and so special, but it didn't really hit us. And it always kind of had a special part. So when it became kind of a thing and people started smoking it, I kind of started collecting the strains. And people don't realize, like, that plant spirit is so 
it's so moist and so feminine like it despises heat and fire so all these people that are smoking and going cuckoo and running through walls like i mean it's kind of fun on youtube to watch the salvia freakouts i gotta admit um in a you know in a kind of weird way but the key to salvia is you make a quid and you just put it in your lip and you find some quiet place and she will take you deep into her healing garden and it is so special and so magical but i mean i have smoked it and i have had some very intense and uh unimaginable things happening but really the key to that plant is it's very feminine it's very moist and it really loves just to to you know be uh, stuck in your lip in a quid and it's sad that it's been outlawed yeah, so. I mean, interesting that you mentioned that. It, intense is another word that uh, I would use to describe my own experience with it. But um, it's I didn't know that, yeah, you could just kind of sit it in your mouth. That's an interesting one. Um, kind of just springing to mind from that same idea. Have you toyed around with Kratom at all? Uh, you know, I'm not a – I have tried Kratom, and, uh, but, you know, it's – I'm not a big opiate person and I'm not a big stimulant and being those are it's depending on, you know, it's, it's location. And if it's, you know, the different stem colors and morphology, how they have alkaloids. I think it's an amazing adjunct for people that are dealing with uh, opiate dependence. Um, and I think it is a really amazing healing plant, but it see for me, it was just, it, I don't like things that, that mess with my physiology so much that I have like a body disturbances. And I know it has kind of a, a strange dosage response curve, like where if you take too much, you can be very uncomfortable. So I, I never really connected to Kratom. Like I think my favorite, you know, if I had to pick stuff is I like cannabis. I like mushrooms. Those are my faves. I like, um, cactus like San Pedro and Trichocerus. Um, and I mean, I, I do ayahuasca is another thing. I mean, it, it, it definitely has a place, but it is kind of kicks your ass. But yeah. you know, yeah. just, just mushrooms, and all we need is mushrooms and cannabis, and we're ready to go. <laughs> but I do like cot. I like all plants. Like I, I have a cot plant. I chew cot or chot or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but you know, I, I'm open to try anything. You know, I, I just love all the plants and all the plant spirit allies are just spirit plants. Just really, that's, that's where my, my heart goes. Oh, I'd love to try cod. Yeah, cod's great. It's easy to get seeds. They're easy to sprout. I mean, not really, but I mean, you can do it. They probably grow great in your area. I was going to say, I heard that the seeds are a little hard to sprout, but I'll give it a go. I'm, I'm a bit more green thumb nowadays than when I last tried many years ago as a kid. Yeah, it's just about waiting. The hardest ones ever are coca seeds. Like I've I've never been able to do that. They only have like a two week germination period when, when when they're fresh, and you it's literally like they mold out. It's like it's super hard. Caught you just kind of get them moist and kind of don't look at them for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, interesting. You mentioned that I through a friend of a friend. I I knew someone who had like a single coca plant um, here in Australia, actually, and. Funnily enough, like what I had heard from the guy who had it was that like it just wasn't even worth pursuing because like it just you know kind of akin to the land racing you know is just flipping out in the Australian environment and just not being <laughs> productive at all. Yeah, well, I think there's an Indonesian or Javanese uh, variety of coca now that they're growing. It might work better for your okay. climate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, most likely. Well, 
And people are growing it indoors now. And I know in our area, we had a coca plant that was kind of going around underground that was an imposter. It was somebody claimed it was a coca, but it really wasn't. It had this caustic white sap. So whenever you would chew it, your like lips would burst into flames. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I love coca. I've never tried cocaine yet. I mean, maybe someday. But I love chewing coca. Like, I probably chewed my weight in coca when I've been in, like, South America, especially up in the Andes. Like, oh, my God. I just, I mean, definitely roast your mouth with all the lime. But what a beautiful plant. Like, I can see, you know, up there where there's no oxygen and people are working hard. It's just like angels come down and touch you. Like, you can breathe. You feel vibrant. Like, it's got vitamins. It's such a healing crop for those Andean people. Maybe maybe you should stay away from cocaine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like coca leaf. You know, uh, you guys have, uh, um, uh, you have the wattle leaf, huh? You have a lot of uh, uh, DMT containing uh, like uh, trees in uh, Australia. Oh yes, uh, it takes me back to being a young boy doing the old acid base extraction. <laughs> uh-huh. That's that. It, it's a bit of a sad story actually because you there's certain parts of Australia where it grows really well and you go there. And the trees have just been absolutely stripped of all their bark, and oh, really, yeah, they're really struggling because people have just gone to town on it. Oh my gosh! I know. Now that's the big chaga craze. Everybody wants it to make their chaga, and it yeah, it's a strange thing. I wish people got more into flaris, but I guess it's just not a, a viable plant for extraction. It, you know what's interesting is is kind of maybe a little peripheral, but it was actually in that extraction of the DMT from the acacia probably about eight or nine years ago now when I first learned about it, they were doing de-waxing, you know, like removing the lipids from the concentrates back then, but they certainly haven't started doing that until much more recently with cannabis. I think that's kind of interesting how they were like ahead of the curb in that respect at least. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, that kind of just goes back into your basic kind of biochemistry. I think with us stoners, we we never really had that science background. You know, and it seems like when you're actually doing scientific extraction, you kind of have to involve those principles. So I think as donors, we just never got it. But yeah, that's true. They were de-waxing. And then there was that kind of like that rough extract that was like the jungle spice that had that kind of yellow wax. And they found that that something actually constituents in it. So they're kind of pulling out some of the good stuff. Yeah, I I actually only ever really came across the yellow stuff myself, at least when I didn't make it. But um, yeah, it, it's certainly an interesting one um, to if you were to look at the differences. I, I've never tried ayahuasca personally, and that's that's the one I'm most excited to try because a lot of people say you know it's quite different to smoking it, which is more of you know like your intense kind of like akin to a bong hit versus an edible, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's much longer. I mean, and I mean, there's so many ways now to do uh, like a, you can do like an ayahuasca analog, you know, like a Syrian rue mushroom mixture or, a, uh, you know, or a mimosa hostilis Syrian rue. Or I mean, there's so many ways to kind of emulate or even with research chemicals now, they're emulating like ayahuasca type compounds. And they even think some of the, the most ancient uh, soma compounds were like uh, were different uh, uh you know, beta carbo, uh, beta carbolines and like DMT sources. Like, I mean, it's such an ancient alchemical science. But yeah, I think you would enjoy ayahuasca. But I, w- I would say maybe do it in its natural environment. Maybe get down into the jungles and really, or that, or do it in some place that that is in nature. Yeah, I've heard that above all other things, you know, like set and setting is the most important thing with ayahuasca because. 
for a lot of reasons, but it is very much a ritual. It's not. I don't think there's many people who would say that it's purely recreational. Oh yeah, it's not recreational at all. It's very, it's very hard on your system. I mean, you're 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 vomiting a lot. I mean, that's kind of what I did my research thesis on ayahuasca shamanism in the Amazon when when I was in the university. So it's like I, I had to do some grueling stuff, and it's yeah, it's. I always tell people it's like you know now we have a lot of this. Oh, if you do yoga and if you go to festivals, yeah, you got to try ayahuasca. It's become like this kind of like like cool person rite of passage if you're like hip but really you know, the key to ayahuasca is like it's there to eat. you're either there to be healed learn to be a healer um i think those are really the only two things that people should be using for it is if you're learning to be a healer an ayahuasca or if you're there to be healed i mean i always tell people they should take like an interview with it like a first everybody should interview with it like at least do it once and so that it can impart its knowledge and kind of check you out and you can check it out but i don't it's not a recreational thing but i think it's something kind of like burning man you should all you know you should everybody should do it once kind of like an eclipse you should see a total solar eclipse there's things in life that i think everybody should try and that'd probably be one of them so my question I'm really interested to ask is, out of all the countries you've been to, which one has left the most positive, um, you know, kind of impact on you, you know, in terms of both, you know, things you're doing in the country regarding to cannabis, so whether that be good stuff there or whether you're able to good sense good stuff back or just, you know, like a combination of that as well as, you know, like just you enjoy the place, nice people, good food, you know, all that type of good stuff. Yeah, I mean, number one, the Himalayas. I just, I can't get enough of it. I love the people. I love the place. I love the culture. I mean, the food, Nepali food, isn't that great, but it's a stall bot, but it's very nutritious. Um, just being up there, like just walking those, uh, you know, there's these. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like for backpacking and trekking, the beauty of the Himalayan trekking is you're basically walking along the these. Um, trails or that have been there for thousands of years that have gone all they'll go all through the himalayas back when you know and they all connect to town so there's always like a little village about five hours each village is about five hours from each other so you can you can always you never have to stay out in the cold you never have to pack like a sleeping bag you never have to have food you can just smoke enjoy the beauty and walk and then walk to the next town drink some tea you can spend the night if you want or you can keep on walking like I just I just love the Himalayas, but you know, second runner up. I, there's something about Guatemala that I love so much. Maybe it was the first place I fell in love with, or maybe it's that there there's still such an indigenous presence. Like it still has such its beautiful culture, and it it has the ocean. It, you know, has the Pacific. It has the uh, the Atlantic. It, I mean, the Caribbean. There, it has mountains. It has it has everything, and it, it, people are friendly. It's it's a beautiful place i mean those are probably the top two awesome sounds like two places i need to go <laughs> yeah you definitely need to go you know what i would love to give people some information on things if they want to go deeper into kind of some of the things i've, I've talked about like maybe some books that are good starter books or people yeah. looking so um i would highly recommend if anybody's interested in just more of a reading with your heart um look into any of stephen bruner's books or our uh, interviews like he is definitely connected to that style of of interacting with plants with your heart um a great book that's always fun plants of the gods richard devon schultes albert hoffman awesome guys excellent book um 
if you want more of a a lighter, more meditative approach to connecting with plants. Uh, I would say anything by Elliot Cohen, like plant spirit medicine. Um, definitely, if you torrent or anything like that, find some place that has all of Terrence McKenna's interviews, like on one little thing. It's probably like a million gigs, and download every single Terrence McKenna interview you, you can ever get, and just listen to those. He is the most ultimate dude on earth. Um, Christian Ratch, Jonathan Ott. Um, I mean, Wade Davis, Mark Plotkin, Timothy Plowman, all these ethnobotanists, these are kind of like, these are my heroes, and I I really think people would benefit from that. Um, I'm trying to think, any other, uh, you know, support Eurowid, uh, get sites, just, I'm trying to think of things that are just so, oh, you know, it's a great book, people, I'm not, you know, I, I my degree was in, uh, Basically, kind of like a, it was a anthropology of religion with an emphasis on plants and culture and religion. So I always wanted to be an ethnobotanist, but I could never handle the botany and the science, nor the you know the put you in a box thing. So I kind of found a, found a way around it and did ethnobotany without the botany. But there, if there is one book that people, if people are kind of like a dummy like me and are more artistic, artistic and don't want to try and figure everything out there's a great book called uh it's called like practical botany for gardeners i think it's by joff hodge and it's got pictures and it talk and if you want to like kind of know what you're talking about but not want to know this is a great book for you it's all pictures it's like it's like botany for dummies it has great things about all the classical breeders um let me think anyone else that i think is super awesome definitely read Stephen bruner's books plants of the gods oh and Luther Burbank, if you want to know of a cool botanist that's still connected to its heart and to the spirit, definitely get into Luther Burbank, one of the most amazing breeders uh, on earth ever. Created, I think, like 800 different kinds of fruits and vegetables. Wow. From Santa Rosa. He has amazing quotes. Like his, I think one of his famous quotes is like, the most important thing to a breeding program is love. He's, um, what was another one of his things? Is, oh, the... I don't know, but if you're into botany and you still want to be kind of groovy and esoteric, definitely Luther Burbank. And travel, please travel, please collect seeds, please make seeds, please share seeds, please be nice to everyone. Let's make this an awesome community and let's really push this thing into amazing directions. I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing and it's a very... Very good. Again, you know, very archetypal of Bodhi, just spreading the love. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I'm, I guess, I always get shy and I get all paranoid about about these conversations. But really, if it's with good people, it's just you're just talking. So I got to, I think, you know, Adam Dunshow was different. It was live, and there's a lot going on. And that was, I, I like that. I like live because it, you know, it's raw. But this is nice too because you get to really kind of like. Um, get to talk more and like really kind of come from a, from where I want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we often hear about what people enjoy about this show is that people are able to kind of get a bit deeper into their thoughts on an issue and not just kind of maybe moving on to the next issue straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like the dynamic approach and I like how it, it, yeah, it's just, it's different. It's more, one is more, 
like it's more of a show and you're on the spot and you're really getting out. And then this one's more of kind of like a, you like having tea. So I, they both are amazing. They both serve their purpose, but you know, it's neat to have both sides of the coin. I think, yeah. you know, you, you know, what you're kind of like is the Nardwar of cannabis interviews, you know, Nardwar. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the crazy interviewer. Like he comes up with all the wackiest questions and all the guys are like, where in the hell did you figure that out? You could be like the Nardwar of cannabis podcasts. I love it, you know, doing these. And honestly, what I say to everyone is I just I just make the show that I wish already existed. Like I'm just making a show that I would sit down and enjoy. Yeah. I hope this makes a lot of people happy because everybody's like, you know, it's. I guess it's nice to hear someone's voice and just, you know, I hope I just got across some diff- – my whole thing was I just wanted people to maybe see a different, a different reality of – of how we can make this work. I hope that it kind of comes through in the interview. Yeah. And I, I think that people definitely will have that experience. And honestly, it's something that has kind of been necessary in a way, because a lot of the, a lot of breeders do, and including myself, you know, do approach this very much from that scientific point of view. So it's really nice to have that contrast and kind of juxtaposition to see that it's not all just, you know, one way, so to speak. Yeah, it's always, and that's why I always tell people, it's like, I don't care how you breed, and it's, the proof is in the pudding. If you, if you make something amazing, I don't, and as long as you put your heart and soul into it, it wasn't just like a one-off thing, and you're like, oh, look at this, I made this, and it doesn't matter, proof's in the pudding, and that's all that counts. Science or quackery, it doesn't matter. Yeah, for sure. So again, just in case my previous one <laughs> got a bit interrupted, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show and for spreading all your knowledge and love with us. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. I feel good, really good to let my heart speak, you know, and so thank you. Yeah. So there you have it, guys. Without a doubt, one of my favorite episodes so far. I hope everyone was able to sponge up everything they were looking for. Big thank you to Bodie, his wife, 420 Australia, Organic Gardening Solutions, Bodie, see you.